Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and a producer. I'm Andrew Roger. I'm a cinematographer. And today... We are diving in to talk with the fantastic director and writer Andre Overdale. Not only has he directed Future Murder, Troll Hunter, Autopsy of Jane Doe, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, but his brand new movie, Mortal, which is a fantasy adventure about a man who discovers he has godlike powers and it's based on ancient Norwegian mythology. There's so much to take away from this week's episode. The fact that it took him five years to develop his breakout hit, Troll hunter and the fact that he likes to rewrite his scripts every single time he does a rewrite from a blank page andy what did you take away from this fascinating interview um really cool guy to talk to he talks about working with uh, Guillaume de toro and about his relationship with dps and how, how that works on set it is incredible it's so much insight for you guys uh, also I, what i took was really interesting that he's, he, he felt he had one shot uh, when he made troll hunter and he really didn't want to mess it up uh, and he also talks about how he became a director of the moment and how he really had to have other projects ready to go it is amazing episode I'm so glad Andre took the time to chat to us and really do try and watch Mortal if you can. It is so cool. Uh, so that is coming up for you very, very soon. Andy, how are you, buddy? Lockdown's getting to me a little bit. I, little I really bit. want to be out there making movies now, or at least having the meetings face to face where you can be making movies mm. moving forward, right? The Zoom shit's getting to me. It's tough. I think that's the thing. I'm things are maybe starting to open up a little bit here um, I've seen people are starting to come back to shoot and stuff like that and I want to be like right cool so I've started kind of putting some feelers out and being like hey remember me we worked together two years ago or like remember hey you know <laughs> and, and do you remember me yeah, oh, oh yeah I remember you I'm just not yeah, there's a reason I haven't called you in two years <laughs> but um so yeah like doing a bit of that but it's tough because I, you know, I like to be face to face I like to go for a drink with someone I like mm -hmm. to you know keep in touch and all that kind of stuff and it's we've not been doing that for like what 150 days is it now that's insane and everyone knows who's listened to this podcast for over this lockdown time is i've been very proactive i've written scripts i've developed a load of projects got packs ready got budgets mm -hmm. ready spoken to investors so i'm ready to go and then there's that nagging feeling in the back of my head where you just think is this just going to shut down again <laughs> your investors are going to go yeah we're not sure yeah. a, a few projects have pushed back to march already and i'm like well yeah what we're going to do from now until then I mean, the you guys must be feeling the same who are listening. It's like, how do we get through? So obviously we're here to be positive for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sometimes good to show this side, isn't it? I think so, man. I mean, it, it, this industry can be really tough. I mean, you know, this is unprecedented. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to know. It's like, I think everyone's keen to get back to work, but no one's really sure how safe it is or, or whether... You know whether they can put the money into productions well richard short has been back filming well finished filming macbeth uh, that he's been doing with denzel washington that's been directed by joel cohen which is incredible of the cohen brothers fame and he said it was just so different on set it was just a very different atmosphere and everything was you know how before everything's kind of you're all it's matey and it's it's a wonderful atmosphere and it can be such a joyous creative process being on set and that's kind of stripped away a little bit because it's masks on it's only seven people in a room at a time it's this i don't know what their exact rules were but that's pretty much rules 
And that kind of kills our love, creativity and passion for what we do a little bit, right? Yeah, it's very um, social. The thing I found, I've done a couple of days of shooting. The thing I found difficult was, yeah, it's the mask and everything. It's not being able to get close to people or hug someone or like give them a pat on the back or high five someone it's just all the stuff that, that, that you would normally do and and like things like yeah. eye contact and stuff you, you don't realize how much of what we do is non-verbal how much communication is non-verbal mm. you know, if you're both wearing masks it's hard to tell if you like that take yeah, if well, you, you know yeah that's so true is it good that's a really good point yeah yeah so therefore you're and you have to maybe over enunciate your words which changes the inflection of what you're saying mm-hmm. because you've got a mask on you know so and that can be misconstrued, especially by actors or performers who are feeling vulnerable anyway. Yeah. All they can see is eyes looking at them and going, what, is that good? Yeah. <laughs> and some people have expressive eyes and faces and some don't. And yeah, you need that ver- uh, verbal or, or mouth movement to understand. Yeah, that's it's funny because as babies, that's how we pick it up. We pick everything up on instinct and what the face is being read. And if you can hardly see that. Yeah, fascinating. Um, well, either way, I'd still rather be on set like that than not. So, oh yeah, I've got to be working, right? I mean, this is it. And and even though Arthur and Merlin came out, which Richard Short is obviously the, the lead in, mm. uh, and that's doing well. Thank you everyone who's watched it. And then The Dare is coming out in October, which is again great. The fact is, we do have a movie coming out, and in the UK, I mean, obviously it's available in the US and Canada and other territories, but for us in the UK, it's great. So before we get to the podcast with Andre, which is coming up very soon, here's some shout-outs for those people who've been amazing the last couple of weeks. Um, we have Katie. Uh, she's at filmmaker katie on twitter diane knight as always thank you diane for your support always uh jesse quinones he's been on the podcast and again he, he put out a lovely message the other week thank you especially to those who listened to the ben mole podcast last week and the weeks before that there's been so much love coming through from you guys the fact that we're still doing this in lockdown we're still giving advice and all this is moving forward i really appreciate that you appreciate that and see that we're still still cracking on and doing it um augie at msqou on twitter thank you dave uh, at lowlight dave uh, martin neely robbie martin and dan tonkin um thank you everyone who supported us and listened to this podcast and do tell your friends that's how we grow right andy Sorry, what's ha- what's been happening here during that lovely chat you've just been doing is my cat has got up on top of my laptop and is standing on it and is also trying to knock the microphone over and is purring. It's good. It's just there's been a lot happening. So I was dealing with nice. that. Mate. It's, Sorry. That's nice. Still here. It's a cat top. Right. Okay. Let's get to today's episode where myself and Andy sat down for a lovely chat with director and screenwriter Andre Overdell. Here it is. Enjoy. My name is Christina Oss. I'm a psychologist. Hey, dude! What do you like, man? A lot of people Get up! are wondering what happened last night with you and the boy. If you touch me, you will burn. They have uncovered three dead bodies. Christine! Just get in the car. cannot reach a city you do agree with me right you've seen what he's done here i saw it with my own eyes you're lucky to be alive sometimes i just get these visions i see things well like they're different worlds right i can walk around i can touch things i can feel things i feel the wind i feel the heat i'm not saying he's a bad person i don't care what he is we need to get him under control 
I think something happened that nobody quite understands yet. It's an absolute delight and honor and a pleasure to have with us on the Filmmakers Podcast, Andre Overdal. Hello, buddy. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm honored to be on. Um, it's my pleasure. <laughs> How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a Sunday uh, and it's, you know, it's gardening day. And <laughs> we're kind of like, all right, let's, yeah, for me, let's jump in a podcast. You've not got a garden, Andy, have you? Oh, I do. I just try to ignore it. <laughs> fine, fine. Andre, so those of you who don't know, a very brilliant director, but some of the movies he's made are Future Murder, Troll Hunters, which he also wrote, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, uh, and the recent Mortal, um, which is coming out pretty much now, um, which is super exciting and amazing. We're going to dive into that. Um, so look, let's, Andre, how did you start? Because, you know, I can see you've made shorts, but actually, we're looking at sort of your, your credit list. You sort of seem to jump straight into the feature film with uh, Future Murder, which you co-directed. I mean, I can't imagine it was just that simple, but how did it start for you? I mean, I, uh, when I was in my teens, I, I was shooting films on mostly on video camera. I started out with Super 8 a little bit, but that was mm -hmm. only for about a year, I think. And then I went over to Hi8 and uh, VHS-C, which was the thing of the time. And, and he's uh, nodding. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Big jumping quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then up to Super VHSC. Wow. Which was, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and you were just making shorts for fun? Was it? Is this something you were like, I want to do this as a career? Or were you just, you know, making stuff for fun? I think, first of all, for fun, because who knew it could be a career? I mean, I think that's more of a dream scenario that you can't really imagine at that yeah. stage and when you're mid-teens or something. So I was um, shooting like 25-minute action movies, and I made a horror film about a, a guy who gets possessed by a Ouija board mm. when uh, like uh, was over an hour, almost an hour and 20 minutes. So it was kind of a feature. Boring like hell, but it was a great learning experience. <laughs> um, I do have them still on VHS and a couple are digitized, but I would never show those to anybody <laughs> today yeah. but i think that's i think that's a good thing and a lot of filmmakers get bogged down with making their first you know anything amazing and it's so easy to fall into that trap of then oh well if i can't make it amazing i'm not going to shoot it but would you yeah. say you're glad you made those because then oh, you yeah. got to continue you know your journey yeah no absolutely there are so many things to say about that process but it's really um, no, I mean, I, I, I'm very happy I did that because without that, I wouldn't be where I am now. So then my, I went to film school in, uh, in the U.S., in Santa Barbara, north of Los Angeles, mm. for three, four years. Uh, I spent yeah. five years in the U.S. Then I came back and I ended up, um, after about a year of coming back to Norway, uh, I ended up starting to direct commercials. So I did that for about 10 years. And then I did a, a short film uh, that was actually well, very well received. It won like an audience award in Norway and blah, blah, blah. And it was uh, a comedy. But in the meanwhile, I was developing Trollhunter as an idea and I pitched it to a producer, a huge, you know, the, basically the most, uh, uh, the best producer in Norway. At the, wow. Uh, and he, uh, he loved the idea. And he was able to finance, um, finance the movie. And we had, uh, we spent a couple of years developing it and getting the rest some governmental money and then 
we made it uh 2009 we shot it amazing i love that you just went and then we made it uh, as if that was the easy bit, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> easy bit. <laughs> <laughs> um let's just jump back slightly how you had obviously what was the experience like in la for you would you want to go back because it's five years spent and film school and also your journey into commercials because you kind of just went and then i started doing commercials and there's a lot of filmmakers out there who just love to go do commercials and you know either can be paid all right and it's you're not too long on set um so first of all, the sort of the LA side of it and the film school, did you feel it was great? Did you feel you it was worth it and, and you stayed for an extra year? Did you try and sort of jump into the market there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I stayed for a year because when you have a student visa, you have a year's work permit. Uh, mm. At least you did then. I don't know what it's now. But that was, uh, I worked in a storage facility as a night guard for videotapes at the wow uh, for a year like f came to work at 11 p.m and left at 7 8 a.m yeah i mean you couldn't get a guard to to guard them now i mean no they'd be like take them take them away yeah they were like these huge video cassettes they were like uh yeah. like a suitcase that was wow. really like high protective you know a very you know we really had to protect them they were master tapes for video yeah, yeah anyway uh, so <laughs> Uh, I spent a year there and then uh, I basically my visa expired and I was I had to go back, uh, which was involuntary. I would have loved to stay. Uh, I had all my friends there, my life there, and I was trying to, you know, trying to get something going. And that future model you mentioned was actually my student uh, project. Um, I see. That was right. my, what they call portfolio project at Brooks Institute where I went to school, mm -hmm. um, which was the first um, feature film made in school ever at the time 50 years of i love that so. you were renegade already you're already going look i'm gonna step outside of this and you made a feature film at film school in the first one that's incredible yeah with a very good friend of mine who i met at film school uh normal lesperance uh, he yeah. we co-wrote it we wrote this we got like a uh, because everybody else were basically doing shorts we also mm. had the same time as them to prepare and and make the film so we were given eight days to write, or ten days to write the script for a feature film from nothing. Love it. So, Love so it. we sat for eight, ten days and wrote the first eighty-page draft of it. You know, twenty-four-seven in eight days, which was you know yeah. horrendous. Sometimes, but, sometimes yeah. there's nothing better though than when you've got that time limit and that pressure. It's like you've got to do it. You know, you can't. There's no. Yeah. You you have to do it. And we all we your teachers okay with you doing a feature? Were they fine with that? It was a lot of resistance, but we got support from uh, one or two very good teachers who felt like, let them do it, you know. And then we were able to get it through the system. Um, but it was quite a lot of resistance against it from the get-go, I have to admit. Right. Um, but how was that experience then, shooting it? What was it? It was just uh, fly-by-night, just get it shot as much as you could. Yeah, I mean, we planned it really well. It was an action movie of, we had like thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and we shot on 16 millimeter, not even nice. super 16. So uh -huh. we had like a couple of bowlers. We had a lot of equipment at school. So we had access and we had an Eclair, I think, NPR, which was the, yeah. And uh, we didn't even have Ari or anything like that. Um, so, so we just used all the equipment. We got all our schoolmates together to kind of work in all the positions and, uh, we organized the shoot. I was basically first AD as well as co-director. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and We've my been there. co-director <laughs> yeah, also did the um, location and uh, you know we sh- it was crazy and yeah. he also did boom the, my co-director also did boom <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah. and you sh- did you shoot it as well were you sort of the dops or no no we no. had a uh, we had a dop and we had a camera crew and grip crew and everything and we tried oh, to do wow. it as a pro- as much as a professional movie as possible. We got in a newspaper every, a couple of times because we had weapons on set that we didn't really, you know, <laughs> oh, obviously fake weapons, but somebody sold well, them and, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing. Um, and that whole, I mean, look, that must have been amazing experience. Did, I mean, I've tried to look for a trailer for it and I couldn't find one. Is that on purpose? Have you kind of sort of not pushed it as much? Like you say, it's one of your early movies and you're, you're not too... I mean, the trailer for it, we have a trailer, but that trailer uses music from aliens and stuff like that, too. <laughs> so we don't really have the rights for it. <laughs> God, yeah, no, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, you can't use that. Yeah, no. sadly. <laughs> right. So, oh, because it's a student film, you're allowed to do that because you, yeah, absolutely. At well, the time, you kind of do it. Yeah. yeah, you do it because it's you, fine. Yeah, it's not public. So. Yeah. Right. Now, how was that? Did, did that make you want to make films then? Was that? Your sort of, because it must have been so hard. We know what it's like, Andy, don't we? Doing sort of in the trenches and doing everything. Did that make you go, okay, I can do this as a director, or, or was did you sort of go, oh, maybe I'll go do commercials, like I say, like you did, or was this a burning passion after that moment? No, I mean it was a burning passion way before that moment, and it was uh, and it wasn't lessened by the experience. It was a very stressful shoot. We shot for like 30, 40 days and we closed down city streets and whole shopping malls. We, at night, we closed them down for action wow. scenes and it was a big, it was a big shoot. I mean, really a big shoot. Uh, and we closed, I remember we had a nightclub scene. We had like, we had announced it on radio with, came hundreds of people to fill it up and Amazing. it was a bunch of stuff. The movie yeah. isn't bad. The idea is actually really good. The concept for the movie is actually really good. I could actually remake it, but it's fascinating, isn't it? It's, I think we all feel that way, isn't it? It's our first stuff, even the shorts we did. We kind of go, yeah, it's not bad. You know what I mean? We, we like it. And I love the fact you've got all those extras and then you're being first AD as well. And you're being, you know, you're doing so much other stuff on it. It's incredible. Yeah, but for, was, that, for that particular day, we had to have like real first ADs because it was such a big thing. For the crowd, at least, I guess. Yeah. 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 yeah that's great. And you edited it as well. So you learned how to edit the movies and, and put it all together because that's something I feel that all directors should learn how to edit and DPs to some extent. And Andy, you can edit. And I think that's really important when you're shooting, right? I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, same as a director, as a DP, you need to know what the editor's going to want at the end of the day. Um, if you can grab an extra shot or if there's something you're not going to need, then that's only going to help the production, right? I mean, absolutely. what do you think, Andre? I mean, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think a DOP who understands editing is fantastic because it is all about often just about a 180 degree, degree line or something is understanding how things cut and actually experience it in an editing room. Yet that did cut. Oh, wait a second. I went from a 35 to a 70. It's too far. So I, I, and next time I'll do it 35 to a 50. That will work. Exactly. Better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah completely. And knowledge is always good, right? It's always helpful to understand someone else's role in the job. Yeah, That's what I'm saying, uh, yeah, but. I think it's vital. I think I, my personal opinion is that directors, DPs, and filmmakers in general should understand every other role at least have held a boom and understood how difficult it is to get in the corner and hold it up for that long and have gone through acting process and gone through the editing i think it's really important we at least understand it i think it can only make us better filmmakers i have done most jobs on us 
<clears throat> on a set, but in student films and early in the career. I'm interested, Andre, how did you jump from uh, commercials to doing full-time more, more features and dramas and stuff like that? It kind of goes naturally when you, because when a film, Trollhunter was very successful for me, and when a film is a success, it just jumps by itself. You don't have to do anything in a way. Yeah, but because then people come to you with projects uh, and it just, everything is turned on its head. It's kind of crazy to see how also after this a pretty good success of Scary Stories, having mm-hmm. worked with Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, things turn upside down for you. Uh, you get to pick more than you ever would imagine that it's possible to do. And, and it's true. This is it's, it's that interesting sort of balance, isn't it? Agents come knocking and they suddenly put you in with the right people and the projects that you were developing suddenly get into the right hands or at least better hands than they were before necessarily, yeah. which is sometimes no one, um, which is great. I love that. Um, let's talk about, well, I suppose let's finish off the question. How did you jump into commercials first? Uh, was that a case of you just kept knocking on doors and uh, at the time you were trying to get Trollhunter made and you were like, I'm just going to keep working? No, I mean, I put together a showreel based on all the material I'd shot in film school, essentially, uh, right. which was just action and a lot of, um, yeah, basically a lot of action stuff. And I put together a pretty, for what I had, a pretty decent showreel of like four or five minutes. And I went around to three, four different production companies in Oslo and one in Bergen. And I was actually offered a position at every one I went to as a, as a commercial director. Based wow. off of Future Murder. I picked one that was pretty much the biggest one in Oslo at the time. Uh, and uh, they were very welcoming. And I got to slowly build from tiny, small commercials. My first one was, my very first commercial was standing out on the street uh, interviewing like five on the street uh, for uh, uh, for a little what was it? It's called Sun Sweet. Um, uh, it's like a food, food thing. Some some oh, okay. I can't remember what it was, but it was like a little box of some food. And uh, if they taste, oh, does it taste well? I mean, it was just like you know one of those ones. Yes, yeah. I know what you but mean. it was yeah. na- you know it goes national. Then you have a commercial on your reel. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So you're technically a commercials director. You know, it rolls. Phil Hawkins, he's, he's one of our regular hosts and he does adverts, commercials, and he just keeps doing that. It's like once you've done a load in that genre, they just keep coming and keep coming. And he's, you know, he also does feature films as well, but it, it's that balance, isn't it? And during that time, were you like, I am, I'm going to get Troll Hunter made, or were you trying to make other movies at the same time? I was trying to come up with an idea for a movie. And then I think in 2000, and this was around 2000, uh, when I st- or I think even 1998, 99, when I started doing commercials. And then um, in uh, 2005-ish, I started develop. I, I came up with the idea of Trollhunter. And I started, I spent, you know, as an amateur, you sit and you do a little bit this month, and then maybe it goes a few months. And it, it took over a, a period of several years to develop mm-hmm. the concept into something that was a, like a, something of an outline because I had to create a world and everything and make it make sense and make some errors. And uh, in 2008, I think, I went and pitched it to the producers, or even before, I wonder, it was 2007. Right. Um, and what, how, can you remember how you pitched it? Because uh, there's a lot of, like I say, there's a lot of people who go, 
great sounds great but w- was there something special you did when you pitched w- w- or was it just because you're pitching to a, another norwegian right so therefore they understand the the mythology or at least some of it so did that help or did it not and what was your pitch like do you remember I mean, the pitch was um i had a like a three-page document which described everything i knew uh, focused in a way what i've developed yeah. over all these years but I just sat down in a room. There were two producers, I remember, um, and they were sitting there. And the senior producer, I, I, I didn't even, I was so nervous, I didn't even dare look at him. So I just started <laughs> I talking about, yeah. I, I said three sentences about what, what the plot was. Basically, it's about a guy who uh, has a job and he's, uh, you know, keep uh, holding the troll, uh, trolls at bay in the Norwegian words. And... I said three sentences and then I looked over at him finally and he smiled and he didn't want to hear anything more. I love this idea. We're going to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And that was the whole damn pitch. Wow. Uh, I've done, yeah. I've done 50 pitches more than that in, in Hollywood and elsewhere after that. And that, those are huge things, completely different than this was. Did you believe him at the time or her at the time? Did you think this is not true or did you go, yeah, great handshake, put the money in the account, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the most prolific and is in a way still the most prolific producer in Norway. And he is the most successful one. He, all his movies make money or right. n- nearly all his movies are successful. And uh, he makes huge, creative, uh, original movies for Norwegian audiences. And he's always looking for that original concept. That, and I knew he had the power, in a way, to, to make it, mm-hmm. to make that happen, if he really wanted to. So, yeah. That's great. Had you already written the story by then? Had you written the script? Not a script, no. So that was a whole process to get the script in order, because then we just selected a deadline. Okay, well, we're going to turn them on turn this project into the Norwegian government by this and this date. Right. Yeah. And so. did you, so, so for that point you went home and went, right, I better start writing this idea yeah. I've got then. Right. Yeah. Did you tell them you'd, you'd not written it yet? Or do you said, yeah, I'll send it next week. <laughs> no, Scripts, no, I told them. No worries. I, mean, I, I believe in honesty uh, when it comes to this. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to fool anybody. Initially it was an idea. It was a pitch of an idea, not a script in a way. So. Mm. Great. Yeah. That's amazing. How long did it take you to actually write it? And because you'd been in your head for so many years, was it quite an easy process? I mean, I worked a, uh, a bit with a friend of mine on uh, coming up with a take, uh, a script that was um, that was on the way. But then at a certain point, I had to take it over. And I remember I started over again because we didn't quite get it in the right direction. It's, it was a really tricky script to write. So I, uh, the first draft I wrote in three weeks, spent one week on the first act, one week on the second and one week on the third act, because that was, I had three weeks in the end to, to turn it in. And, um, and then after that, I just threw out that script and I started rewriting completely from blank pages again. Oh. And I, that didn't work either. And I started over again. So only the fir- fourth time, fourth blank page rewrite, did I come up, did I actually feel like the story worked? Wow. And a big, big thing that I found in developing the, the script was that I could not have a human villain in the story because I wanted the film to be about discovering the world of the trolls and the world of Hans, the troll hunter. 
and initially there was like some farmers and some people who were like villains and then it became focused the whole movie became focused on uh, on human uh, conflict and not mm. conflict between human and nature in a way the trolls yes so and um, and did you know at that point you wanted to make it a mockumentary and you know that I'm following the students and, and as they go and, you know, find these trolls that have been hidden by the government. Did, did you always think it was going to be a mockumentary? Or like you say, was that one of the different rewrites that you'd done? No, that was actually in the initial pitch I did to the producers. It was part of it. It's going to be done as a documentary. No, I didn't ever call it a, mock, a mockumentary or found footage or anything. I called it a documentary because my inspiration was Man Bites Dog. Yes, uh, the okay. Belgian, yeah, uh, serial mm. killer film, and it was that is more or less a documentary, and that mm -hmm. was kind of the blueprint for how Troll Hunter was supposed to work. Um, and what about shooting it then? Because, like I say, you've got this amazing trolls in the film, and you've got the, this visualize of this is incredible. Did you know? You know, I, I'm I'm like flabbergasted. At, you know how you sometimes can put in, oh, we'll just put a creature here, or a big foot will come here, or things. Had you properly planned all this out once you got to that stage of shooting? I mean, the special effects scenes were semi-planned out because we wanted, obviously, we wanted this. The whole movie was very improvisational in style, and I had a very active DOP mm. with me, who has since uh, become a very successful director. Um, but he was, uh, you know, we were working so closely together that he was, he was a character in the movie, you know, mm. as the cameraman. So he had to, in a way, act and Im improvise. And we always, whenever I started directing that movie, where I tell the actors, you know, okay, I want you to stand over there. And then probably it's a good idea to move over there in, on that line. If you turn around, the, the moment I started doing regular directing, mm -hmm. uh, the movie became a movie. It didn't feel r real anymore. So I had to constantly uh, step. It was a learning experience to to step back from controlling the storytelling, where the actors would have to uh, take so much responsibility, and I would have to just talk with uh, my DOP, and he would have to improvise on uh, while shooting. And therefore, most of the scenes are very improvised like that, and they're pretty much like that with the special effects as well special effects scenes, but at a certain point, obviously it, go, it gets kind of nuts. So we had to, con we had to like agree on certain limitations for the effects shots. But we, after both him and I uh, had so much experience with special effects from commercials, which is one of the great things about doing commercials. You get to play mm. with all the fun tools. And uh, so therefore we, we knew kind of, okay, we can't have that in the foreground in front because that's going to create a mess. If we put a branch in front of that, where we're going to put the troll, it's mm -hmm. going to be wreck havoc on a VFX company or make the shot useless. So we had like parameters that we had discussed with the VFX supervisors in advance. Okay, we can do that, this, that. We agree on those. And we just had to keep that in mind while prepping, while performing the shoot in a way. So yeah. it wasn't a VFX supervisor on set with you. It was just a... You had to just keep that in your brain. Yeah, no, we had a VFX supervisor on set as well. Oh, good. oh yeah, yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So we yeah. were, con you know, we were discussing, but we, constantly. Yeah, but we didn't actually have much of storyboards, or we had a shot list. Sure. Uh, for that, for this movie, um, I think the only point, I don't, we didn't really have even a sh uh, storyboard, even for the f big finale where they're driving the car and the big troll is chasing them and. Uh, I, I think all that is pretty much just a shot list. 
uh, where we plan out, okay, the camera is going to be pointing out the side window and in the middle of that, it's going to out the front window, pan over just to time it with the foot of the troll or whatever the hell. That must have been really difficult, right? I mean, that must have been a challenge as well because you and the actors can't see the troll so you've got to say okay it's going to be there and then they move to there and uh, that must have been was it frustrating or was it just all right let's see what happens and did you shoot it different ways in case you needed to move things around in the edit and with the special effects i kind of but we were under such pressure to shoot that film uh really? we had third i mean we had 35 shooting days okay and to even be able to make it we had to like we had two or three takes if we were lucky on shots like that right so it oh, was, wow. uh, yeah, it was uh, a lot of pressure, time pressure, which it always is, regardless of budget, in my experience. The, the thing that really struck me about it, and I, I saw it when it came out, so it's been a few years, but was um, it's very beautiful, but also how real it felt. And I guess that must be a result of the way you shot it. If, if it's not so, um, it's not like planned out like a modern Godzilla movie, if you're capturing what's there and going improvisationally with what's happening. To make that, to make that specific film was very different from anything else I've ever done and will do because I just realized this is the way to do the movie for two reasons, practical reasons or three reasons. It is a fun tool to be in a documentary style. Uh, and it's also very practical for, um, for production because you only have to shoot a scene from one angle. You don't have to do coverage from four different angles, which suddenly you can shoot a scene in five hours instead of eight or in three hours instead of eight. And also mm. it's, um, it created the tension between reality and absurdity is maximized by uh, the fact that you're insisting it's a documentary while what you're pointing the camera is, is, is a huge troll of 80 you know, feet. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been it, like you say you, you mentioned there that you felt the pressure was that did you feel that as the director as well like this is an opportunity for you and you were worried that something might go wrong I, I don't know just I got from the impression you were saying there that this there was quite a lot of pressure on you to get this right um, yeah I mean basically you have I mean it's a little bit like uh, I felt like I had one shot if I fail with this uh you know it's gonna be a mess um so mm. it's uh it's a it's a lot of pressure but to me the biggest pressure is just time on set i'm yeah. not so pressured by the overall uh you know expectations i actually find that to be invigorating and exciting that there is expectations to a movie yeah um even working for Guillermo del toro it was mm -hmm. uh, the expectations of having to live up to his legacy Oh, was gosh, yeah. exciting rather than terrifying. It was terrifying at the beginning, but then, and then it, yeah, then it's fine. Fine. Yeah. Cause by that point you've proved yourself as well. And I think that changes your mindset a little bit. So uh, let's go on to that then after troll hunter, which like you said, was an, an enormous success. It just was, I, I think potentially it's the title, but it's also the imagery, the graphics, the fact that it was a brilliant film as well helps massively. But the fact that it just spread across the world, like Andy saw it in the cinemas. I heard about it straight away and watched it later on its DVD. Um, and just really interesting. So that time for you, because. In, it took quite a while for you to make the next film, which was the fantastic um, Autopsy of Jane Doe. I love this movie, by the way. Um, and it, it did take a few years. So would you mind telling us what happened afterwards, even though the success of Troll Hunters, as you mentioned, doors were opening for you. What what happened next? I mean, it was tricky for me to... Obviously, Hollywood 
came to me. I mean, I got an agent at William Morris Endeavor um, mm. before the movie even came out. Oh, wow. Was uh, that because of festivals? They'd seen it there? or Yeah, because yeah, uh, okay. it premiered at Fantastic Fest. That's where we had the initial premiere. And uh, my agent then came, came there to see it. And it, it blew up, you know, it became a, a huge uh, talking point uh, for weeks after that uh, at the festival circuit, which was amazing, obviously. But then I was shuffled into Hollywood. I mean, I was invited to, to by the agents to, you should come to Hollywood now while you're burning hot. Mm-hmm. And I spent three weeks there. I flew over on, and I slept on the floor of uh, my friend's girlfriend's Friends place yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for three weeks. And... Um, uh, we, I drove around to four or five meetings with producers every day. Um, and it was like huge producers, like, you know, Transformers and this mm-hmm. and that. It was like awe-inspiring. It was absurd, basically. Yes, yeah. And um, and then the film uh, got the official premiere. That was like a sneak premiere in Fantastic Fest. Then the film got the official premiere in Sundance, which was also announced around the same time. This was the fall, late, very late fall of 2010. So now you're not burning hot. You're like the sun hot. People are like, let's get I mean, Andre yeah, in, in a now. Way, you just become yeah. the director of the moment mm. for a little period of time until there is a new director of the moment. And also I was invited by Variety put me on like their top 10 directors to watch for that year. And it just, everything just builds and builds and builds. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and did you find that those meetings were a lot of hot air, if you like, or a lot of, no, no, we want you. Great, great, great. And then nothing really developed because I'm interested in that time between. You see what I mean? What, why, why was there a gap or why there's so many meetings? And I'm the same when the day was just about to come out. I was in so many meetings in LA and it's a really interesting time where they want to talk to you. Yeah. But there's, it's that. Okay, is there a project at the end of this, or are we just going to keep talking? So, how was your experience with that? I mean, it's a weird balance between do you have another project that yep. you can build from, in this case, Trollhunter, that we can, in a way, promote into the industry that is like the next Trollhunter, that is, builds on your previous success? Because Hollywood needs uh, is so much money involved. So, Hollywood mm. producers and studios need evidence that there is potential you know, to make their money back and hopefully some profit. You can't escape the fact that it's a profit-driven driven business like everything else. Even though it's yep. art we're making, we are making art, but they have to make money. So um, true. It's a business. It's called film business for a reason, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We're film creatives. <laughs> yeah, film I business. Mean, yeah. And we're all creative. I mean, so many of the people I meet in Hollywood, to me, are extremely creative, whether they're executives sitting in a in a, a middle position in the studio or something they're they love movies like they're kids in a way mm. uh, the people i work with at least and um i've been very fortunate to uh, to meet like-minded people through the process also it's a little bit of a selection you know you kind of gravitate towards people who are similar to you or whatever it is um but uh, no, it took a while because the, I went into these meetings not quite knowing what to do, what to expect. So I right. didn't really bring an A game. I just kind of, okay, holy shit, I'm in a meeting at Paramount today and I have no idea what we're talking about. Right. Uh, <laughs> do you think if you'd gone in now, looking back, if you'd gone in with other projects ready, it would have made a difference straight away? It could have, yeah. I should have right. been better prepared by myself. I should have had a next project. I should ideally have a script and it should have some resemblance to Trollhunter. 
mm-hmm. so that they can go, I love Troll Hunter, and I, this is the next thing I want. This is great. We can, we can probably finance this. Amazing. So if you'd had Mortal ready at the time, you feel that like that could have just gone straight into production by having some, or at least been talked about as to go into production. It could have, yeah. I mean, mm. it could have. That's really interesting, isn't it? Mm. That we should always have projects ready when you've got something and you're hot. I've heard this quite a bit and other directors have talked about this and having something ready next, whether it Mm. goes or not, but then they're interested in you and then the talk continues and another project might come because of that. But if you don't have a project, then you just become a, cool, well, get back in touch when you do. And like I say, they've moved on and there's another thing gone on at the time. Yeah, it's it's really like a hot period. And I've, I've had... I've been fortunate to have had three of these now with Troll Hunter, then mm-hmm. after Autopsy of Jane Doe, which was actually the biggest one. And then now after Scary Stories, I kind of have another one. So right. I've been extremely fortunate to, to experience it three times. The, Amazing. Where yeah. the level goes up. But in between, the level is down. But uh, especially after Troll Hunter, there was a period when I really felt like, oh, this is, I, I blew it. Time went, really? too much time went by and I'm not going to get another movie made. You know, you, you do get, years did pass by, as you mentioned, mm. from the movie premiered in the US in 2011 um, and 2016 is really when Autopsy came out, five years later. Yeah. Mm. So that time period was ups and downs, had, had ups and downs. I was attached to, I attached myself to movies I liked, but they didn't necessarily have like a go plan. And sometimes I did it against my, I attached myself to projects against my agent's advice because I emotionally loved the project mm-hmm. um, and I loved the script. I said, yeah, let's go get this. And we went and we, uh, with the producers, I went and pitched to all the studios. We did like 20, 30 pitches in a couple, in a week or two or with everybody who had money in Hollywood and mm-hmm. nobody wanted the projects. And that happened a few times. After Troll Hunter, I was off, a lot of the stuff that I was actually offered that could, I could have said yes to that could have become movies mm-hmm. were found footage movies because that was still hot. And I, I got, I think, every script in Hollywood that had a found footage uh, part mm-hmm. to it. And uh, I didn't really want to make another one of those because it wasn't what I care about as a director. I care about actually control. Kubrick is yes. uh, like a guide. <laughs> Obviously, he's an extremist. <laughs> but... ex- very extreme, but yes, okay, <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> Um, but I mean, at least I like controlled storytelling where I'm in charge of it in a way. And, um, after having a period of those kind of projects, Hollywood was filled with those kind of projects. Mm. I saw the conjuring in summer of 2013. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was such a wonderful throwback to classic Hollywood proper storytelling with a Mm -hmm. $20 million budget, which was huge for a horror movie at the time because all of them cost four or five or two or something or less. And um, that was so inspiring. So I told my agents that, okay, if you guys see a, a horror script that is like this, that is like, you know, a solidly told classic thing, send it to me. And I got a friend in WME who, uh, who's not, who was not my agent, but he sent me this script called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. He said, you have to read this. Uh, this is the best script I've read, read in, in forever, this whole year. Yeah. And I was like, I was so busy with something. I can't remember what it was. He could actually have been writing the first draft of uh, of Mortal. I can't remember, uh-huh. but it, it was. Um, I didn't read it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he was like, uh, "You have to read this." 
And then I just saw a list of 20 directors they're going to with the script now, and your name is not on it. And I was like, okay, uh, you read it. And I sat down and I read it. Like I went into, I sat up in bed and read it. And it, I read the whole thing in 45 minutes. It is wow. the best damn script I've ever re- read. It was just sure. so, it was chilling on page, which is yeah. impossible. Yeah. And, um, and I said, okay, I want to do this. So then I. Now you've got the challenge of the other 20 directors that are yeah. on that list. You're like, uh-oh, yeah. But. But, I, but they had a fortunate link. And this is the lucky thing. This is the um, one big thing for me with the autopsy agenda was that it was to be shot in the UK. Because that meant I could keep, I could stay here on, in Europe. Mm, um, big difference. Near the family. Yeah, young yeah. child. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was a huge reason why I also said yes to it. But I was already at that time working on Mortal with a co- with a UK producer, uh, right. the company Forty Two, which you might yeah, know. Yeah, Forty Two. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And uh, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, another producer, they work with a lot in the in the US, and also Nordisk Film eventually, but especially those two companies were involved with Mortal heavily at that time, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Forty Two was also a producer on the Autopsy of Jane Doe. Indeed. So I had like a, they, they were like, okay, so, but I still had to convince the American producers that they were an ally in, in it. In helping you. Okay. Yeah. Good. But then fortunately it turned out that the US producers, they also loved the uh, Troll Hunter and they were, you know, so, but I still had to deliver a really solid pitch and I completely messed it up on the first go. What did you do? What happened? Here we go. I mean, I, uh, I had a phone call with all the producers and I discussed, um, uh, my thoughts on it and it wasn't really thought through and I didn't like it as I was pitching it. I heard that my thoughts were really bland and uninteresting and unfocused. Mm-hmm. So I stopped the pitch on the, it was just a phone call. So I stopped and I said, but you know what, this is going absolutely, I can hear, this is not how I want to make the movie. So I'm, I actually want to present, I want to, I want to repitch it to you in a week, my take on it, and it will be a different take. And I'm going to send you guys a very clear, document that i'm going to work out mm-hmm. and please hang on for a week for me and they did because they were you know they were keen no interested yeah. yeah yeah and i think they respected that decision in some way i bet yeah and that document was really i, th- I think really solid and it sold uh uh, sold me in as uh, as the director that's good what did you put in the pitch can you remember what was in the document what was it that you felt stood out what do you think won you the job i mean it was uh the cl- i mean i wanted to make a um uh the grotesque had to be beautiful in a way that was a mm. big thing I wanted to work really hard on making sure that we never made a sexual object out of the naked woman in the middle of the frame. Mm-hmm. That was another thing. I have to present it in an elegant, uh, heightened way. Um, and, uh, and also, the, my basic reference became Seven, uh, oh, David Fincher nice. Seven, mm. simply because of the... Uh, this is a, Seven is a movie where two people walk around in rooms with corpses in a lot of scenes. Yes. So there is a lot of the way the, the way the uh, David Fincher and his crew used the camera to tell the story and the simplicity of the storytelling, the classic elegance of how that movie is made uh, was a huge inspiration and is continuous to be today. It's one of my top three favorite movies of all time. Yeah. 
Oh, that's really interesting. I find that uh, pitching's difficult. It's not easy. You've got to love the project for one, but you've also got to know it inside out because if you're not brilliant speaking or you find that it's scary to pitch in front of producers, your idea, it, it can be so daunting. So I'm, I'm very proud of you to stop and go, Hey, look, it's not going my way. I feel it's wrong. Give me a week. I'm going to come back. I, I'd respected that as well if I was a producer on that and I'd have gone, all right, he, he's got a, a vision. Let's see what he says. And well done because you won it in the end. And, you know, the autopsy of Jane Doe. So here's my story with this. When just before we shot The Dare in Bulgaria, I'm in my hotel room on my own a lot. So at night, there's kind of like three channels that were in any way English, BBC News, uh, another sports channel, and there was a movie channel. And every night, at around about 10 p.m., The Autopsy of Jane Doe played every single night. So I watched this movie so many times and I <laughs> loved it from the first moment. I watched it again. I think, Andy, when you came over, you've got to watch The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I'm watching it. So good and so well made and so interesting. And like you say, the beautifulness that came across in The Nakedness or the, 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 the gorgeous of the, the scary wasn't. It was really interesting. It's interesting you said seven there because I find that fascinating. You, now it makes sense to me. You know, um, Owen Catherine Kelly, who played the, the, the girl on the, the slab, if you like, the dead girl. She's great. She's been in a friend's film as well recently. And I didn't know you shot in the UK. I find that really interesting. Did you, did you, uh, you know, it's obviously Brian Cox, Emile Hirsch, your two leads on an amazing cast anyway. Did, whereabouts did you shoot in the UK? Were you in a studio or did you find a, a venue that looked incredible? <laughs> it was a warehouse uh, in Bromley by Bo. Yeah, yeah. You know Bromley. Yeah. Yeah, was it a three mill studio or was it just nearby It was there? just nearby, yeah. It okay. was uh, like a huge warehouse where we built everything as one big piece. Where you could mm -hmm. walk from basically became the it became the real place. Uh, I wanted the whole studio to be so you could walk from one end to the other of the set, so we could film right. everything in in cohesive moves if we needed to. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was. Uh, I still to this day I can't really understand how the producers were able to find the money for us to build that set and. Mm -hmm. And with obviously that cost and with, because we were really a low budget movie and with, uh, all this, you know, we shot for, what was it? Like 35 days. Plus we had 10 days of second unit that was running in parallel, at least mm -hmm. 10 days, 12 days, okay. I think. uh, with all the detail stuff that actually we had directors and DOPs in and out and we had, uh, to help do that. And one of the producers who, uh, also ended up directing a lot of these uh, detail shots. So he, I would be shooting oh, really? once, one set there and he would be shooting there and we would be like running back and forth and discussing, okay, let's do that next. And on That's weekends, so cool. yeah. And on weekends I would be shooting myself, um, the second unit and we would turn over like 50 shots in a, in a day of just details. Uh, so it was, uh, because it was so much, that was like my big fear with that movie. There are mm -hmm. so many detail shots and everything is described in the script and it's part of the storytelling mm -hmm. to, to see everything in extreme detail. So I was terrified that we wouldn't have enough time for that, but they were able to find time during the production. 
It's great. For, for those of you who haven't seen The Autopsy of Jane Doe, I highly recommend it. If you like these type of movies, you know, horror mystery thrillers. It's a, so, you know, it's a father and son. They're both coroners and they're pulled into a complex mystery while attempting to identify the body of a young woman who is apparently harboring dark secrets. I mean, it's just so cool. I, I love all the details, the pulling of the, the skin back, not to, you know, make any spoilers of this movie, but all that, all that stuff was just so inherently gorgeous and brilliantly well made and yeah well done I, honestly i love this movie it got me through some dark days in bulgaria on my own in the hotel i'll tell you <laughs> and it's a dark movie so no it's just beautiful the colors as well you know you're who was your cinematographer uh, roman Ossin. Roman Ossin, right? Yeah, yeah yeah i mean just great how did you how do you like to work with dops and this is a question andy could probably ask actually how do you like to work with dops <laughs> <laughs> um I mean, DLPs obviously has turned into Roman now over the last sure. few years. Yeah, uh, why not? So yeah. there isn't plural in it anymore. Uh, no, of course, yeah. Uh, no, I mean we have a, a a wonderful working relationship, in my opinion. I mean, he, I think he's a genius in composing a shot. He's a genius in lighting and making a mood, and he's able to keep focus on set. He's able to stay focused, even though there is always so much pressure on the DLP. I think it's the hardest. Well, first AD and the DOP have the hardest jobs on set, I think, of the group. But That's really... in a way, especially the DOP, because everything is on. Even the first AD has to refer to the DOP. If we're moving forward, are we still, why are we waiting for something? Or, can you know, blah, blah, blah. It's always, the questions always land on the DOP. So to be able to create art in that environment, once, so, because the director and the actors are always protected. There's so much, you know, like... Uh, protection in that direction but when it comes to the dop and other crew members there is the pressure is in a way put on them of course uh, yeah 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 you're at the coal face yeah yeah mm. yeah <laughs> so to be able to focus and create art in that environment is unbelievable to me um i have so much respect for that so roman is is amazing at that and, and keeping focus and remaining calm and fixing and making sure everything looks awesome even under a tremendous time pressure Incredible. I mean, that's very clear in his work. It's it's uh, very clear and focused and easy to look at and very beautiful and very subtle in places. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan. And the fact that you guys have worked together, you know, quite a bit now is that is that because you've got the shorthand? You both work well together, and you're like, well, like myself and Andy in a way. Is it the same thing? You're like, well, we like working together. We like each other, and we can create good, you know, films together. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there is there is a friendship because it's such an intimate uh, yeah. working relationship. It becomes a friendship. But I also feel like his ideas are so correlating my own ideas and the way he thinks as a cinematographer when it comes to use of wide lenses, when it comes to use of space. Mm. I'm obsessed with camera, where the camera goes, and I'm also obsessed with composition. But he's so much better at it than I am. So he becomes an extension of... Um, of my wants in a way that's a great way of putting it i really like that it's so true because the director's almost got that they've got the final vision it's their vision in their heads but then you're you're kind of passing that down to your dp and your first and your costumes and your art direction you're passing your vision but actually it's so nice when the, the heads of department also go well actually how about if i push you this way in this color and that's what andy does brilliantly with me and i love the fact you said that andre is the fact that it's an extension of your brain and you know if you're struggling for a day and not knowing or, or a second I, I don't know where this shot could be and then andy will go well 
don't forget we're doing this or because we've discussed it so much before you know yeah. and i imagine you're the same with um roman as well you've discussed it in so much detail that if you're doing something else he could probably shoot that bit for you do you see what i mean it's it's that yeah. kind of connection yeah okay so jumping it from J jane doe then now you now you're on a roll you've had now two successful movies as far as i'm concerned two amazing successful movies is this when Guillermo del Toro started knocking on the door uh, or was this before that, you know, moved you into scary stories to tell in the dark that he produced and co-wrote uh, yeah. from what I can tell? Yeah, no, I mean, he, I think he saw it around Christmas 2000 or must it have been 17, the autopsy mm -hmm. agenda or New Year 2017 because uh, I think mid-January 2017, there were like two big tweets out. First, Stephen King tweets about the movie which about the autopsy agenda oh, yeah different was, level stephen king tweeting about your movie you just, yeah, <laughs> yeah who you know just that, yeah. Who? yeah so that was like okay, <laughs> that was absolutely mind-boggling because i've been a fan of his for uh, my whole life essentially yeah and um before i even started making movies i read all his uh, first 10 15 books essentially and um and then I think about a week later, Guillermo tweeted about it. And they were both, uh, you know, very uh, giving in their in what they wrote. Mm. And um, I, but I was working with uh, two producers named Sean Daniel uh, and Jason Brown on okay. another project that was didn't on this in the spring there. We were just discussing it more or less. Um, in the spring summer 2017 and that that project in a way didn't go anywhere it died and then suddenly months later uh, Jason Brown uh, sends me an email we have a script here Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct this movie but he's now decided to take a year off and relax a little bit because he just came off of these huge movies back yeah. to back to back and he just needed to breathe right and um, they asked me if I wanted to read it. And of course, and the funny part was the writers on the movie was also um, Dan and Kevin Hageman, who had written a movie I was attached to years ago called Carpe Demon. Right. So I, I already knew the uh, new author. I had never met them in that case. Great title, by the way. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> Carpe yeah and it was such yeah. a fun damn movie. It's a shame <laughs> that movie never been made. It's a shame, yeah. Um, but that was... Um, uh, so I loved their writing style, and uh, Guillermo had, you know, I been co-writing that for himself to direct mm -hmm. with them in some way, or guiding them as writers. Um, and uh, and of course, I said yes. How can I not? This both the script is fun. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a period piece set in America, and I I kind of I always loved America as from my childhood. Of course, seeing all the movies, of course, all that, yeah. and uh, brown paper bag under your arm, all that sort of yeah. stuff that's just like, that's cool. we got plastic here. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was like a dream come true. And then, of course, uh, Guillermo, who's a master of, uh, of monsters filmmaking, a genius filmmaker um, mm. who I've been in awe for years. And, you know, it's just, a, it's just one absurd situation after the other in a way which is amazing and did he was yeah. he working quite closely with you on this was he hands-on in any way was he helping you and what was that collaboration like if he did oh um he was very hands-on as a producer he was very hands-on with uh, the script 
we had like tons of meetings and discussions about because I we were going to do a little rewrite of it on it mm -hmm. before going into production. It was very involved with that and very involved with making sure that the economy of the production was uh, was really good with yeah. his amazing producer partners. Um, and um, he, we uh, we spent a, actually for me a surprisingly big amount of time together over the course of that year and a half that took. And uh, on set, he was there for a couple of days. He really left me something he said in the beginning. I remember before, almost a year before we shot the movie that um, you're I'm gonna be you're gonna make your movie. I'm not gonna uh, you don't you, I, I couldn't make a Guillermo del Toro movie in any way. I, sure. Yeah. You know, of course, it's impossible. Different level. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to make my own movie, and he really uh, uh, allowed me to do that. And on set, he wasn't really there. He was he visited like two, three times. I remember one day we had a lot of fun. We had a one reshoot day. We did some extra shots of the pay lady and some other things. And we had a lot of fun together. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, he would direct one shot and I would direct one shot. And it was just like a very no pressure day. That's was, amazing. Um, yeah, Guillermo, yeah. Guillermo, you just do that one. I don't fancy that one. You yeah, do no, but he one, would. Yeah. He would like. Okay, I have an. He would walk up to me. I have an idea for a shot here at the pay lady. Do you want? Can I do it? Can I oh, go wow. over and do it? I said, of course you can. Well, You're no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go ahead. That's and he would walk over and he would instruct the actors for that one shot. And it was like, okay, let's do it. And he would talk to the cameraman. And it was uh, it was fun oh. to just watch a master at work as well. Oh was, gosh, yeah. yeah. That must have been. I met him once. I was um, oh. flying to LA and I saw him in Heathrow Airport. And at that point, no one really knew, you know, you wouldn't recognize him. People didn't know who he was. And I did because I was a big fan of Empire Magazine. I'd seen his picture all around. And I went, that's Guillermo del Toro. <gasps> I've got to go speak to him. I've just got to go say, hey, I'm well done. I love your movies. And he was on the phone for ages. And I was like, oh God, I went, waiting for him to be off the phone. And then I did that horrible fanboy thing of as soon as he got off the phone going, Hey, Guillermo. Hi, I'm, I'm Giles. Uh, you're right. And he was like, hi. Yeah. What, what? <laughs> I was just, oh, I can't, can't wait for the Hobbit. Can't wait for you to do the Hobbit. <laughs> At that point, he was clearly not doing the Hobbit anymore. And I had no idea. <laughs> he went, okay, all the best. <laughs> but, but that was my moment of meeting Guillermo. He was very nice. He was very lovely about it. Um, he was in first class. He walked past me and waved and carried on down the, the plane. But anyway, it was a really pleasant moment. And what a lovely guy. Even from then, I was like, he's nice. So. Yeah, God, what a great experience and yeah. and that movie's obviously uh, came out and did well and, you know it's another one under your belt another film and you had some great people in that you know Gil Bellows and who else Dean Norris obviously from Breaking Bad and some really other cool up and coming brilliant actors as well um, and that leads us straight on to Mortal which is the film you mentioned there you you kind of were developing and maybe 10 years ago you started on this you know not long after troll hunter and now finally it's out there in the world it's a fantasy adventure about a man and he discovers he's got godlike powers based on ancient norwegian mythology this teenager accidentally kills another teenager and is arrested and we follow his life uh, and it's electrifying and an incredible story as he tries to put these powers to good use or are the government doing it for the wrong reasons. It's brilliant. It's so much fun. The trailer is amazing and 
pulls everyone in. It's now getting released in the UK. It's a damn shame this is not in cinemas because I feel it's one of those kind of amazing cinema movies you all watch. But it's still great to have a movie out. Myself and Andy have obviously just had Arthur and Merlin out in this time that wasn't in cinemas, whether it would be or not for the same reason. But uh, it's still done well because people want to watch movies right now and they're excited to watch them. So let's jump back into Mortal. Uh, obviously, you've been developing it for a while and now to finally get it made from an idea you had, from that you've written with other people now and you brought on, obviously, Norman, again, uh, L'Esperance, to write it with you as well as Jeff. So talk us through that whole process now that you're now an established director. Now you can take that project that you've been caring about for so long and actually put it to screen. How did it happen? Um, I mean, the weird part is that it was a very, like... Um when that idea came about, uh, it was actually the producer, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, who is a producer on the movie, who yeah. called me. He was a huge fan of Troll Hunters. And he said, do you have more ideas like this? Or can we develop together an idea based in Northern mythology or whatever the hell, something mm -hmm. unique like that? And, and I pitched him over the course of a few weeks, a few ideas for what a movie could be that we could do. And this idea was one of them eventually. And it's easily, it was kind of like clear to me when I came up with the idea that, yeah, this is to make a movie about a descendant of the Norwegian gods and all the problems that would entail to have if this was, if this was real. Um, it's an exciting underground chronicle-like uh, movie with, yeah. with hints of Trollhunter. It has, you know, it has something... But I wanted to make it in a very different way. I didn't, again, I didn't want to make a, a fan footage movie. So we started developing that script uh, also together with uh, Jeff. And mm -hmm. um, that took a couple of years, I think, with uh, several drafts and drafts. And, um, uh, and at some point, I uh, started over again with a new script with a blank page rewrite again because... Unfortunately, I believe that that's what you have to do. Instead of polishing something that is not quite getting there, you have to start over again. Is that frightening, though? Because I've I've not done that, but this I've heard it done a few times, and you've mentioned it now, and it's worked for you to just literally scrap everything and start again. That's it's kind of frightening, no? Yeah, it is a little bit, but in the same time, you do have the you do have the world, you have the characters, you have the have the general idea because I worked out the plot uh, very early on just when I was discussing it with Brian mm -hmm. uh, and, and Ben Pugh from uh, from 42 yes um, I, we were I, I had kind of written a 10 page document with the whole story and it's pretty okay. much the same movie actually Got uh, same story so mm. that was already there but it just somehow it was hard to get it to hone it to make it work um, because the sensitivity of the character's journey and the, is it an action movie? Is it a, is it a drama? Is it a drama movie? There are so many genres blending into this. Um, so at a certain point, but I, and then eventually we were able to get Nordisk film with us, uh, the mm -hmm. Norwegian Scandinavian, pan-Scandinavian uh, distribution and production company. And they were super eager and they were, became huge partners in it. Um, and uh, eventually more or less took over the movie because it was to be shot in Norway that yeah. we, you know, it became a Norwegian production with, um, with Nordisk film. And they, uh, and in 2000 and what was it? Um, 16, we initially tried to shoot it, 
but we lost some time. There was some, I, can't, I can't remember anymore why we didn't shoot it 2016 summer. But we lost something and we uh, some time, and then we couldn't gear it back up because the fall became it became too late into the fall, and then the, we don't have enough da uh, daylight. Enough daylight, yeah, yeah. could be an issue. So we tried again in the spring and summer 2017. Then we shot it summer 2017. And uh, then the fall of 2017, I got the script from Guillermo del Toro while I was right. in the middle of editing. Uh, I see. Mortal. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you shot Mortal before you did Scary Stories, Stories yes. to Tell in the Dark. Ah, got you. So then you went, right, I need to put a pause on this. I need to go do Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and come back to Mortal afterwards. Yeah, and we made a really clear, uh, solid schedule of how we were going to do it and how I was going to mm -hmm. be able to edit. We had made a huge editing schedule for uh, for Mortal, so I spent a lot of time in the editing room. Mm -hmm. And while I was prepping um, uh, Scary Stories in Toronto, I was also editing in Oslo on Mortal. But then we eventually, of course, it gets too intense with prep. So summer mm -hmm. of 2018, we... We put down the work on on. Um, uh, we locked the cut of Mortal and put down the work, and then the VFX companies were to work on it all fall 2018 while I was shooting uh, mm -hmm. scary stories, which was worked out well. And then mm -hmm. eventually, you know, it took a while to get everything coordinated for me yeah. to be able to finish scary stories and Mortal at the same time. Blah blah blah. It took a year to coordinate those two movies yeah was that was that kind of a, a, a nice thing in a way because we had this with the dare is that we shot this coming out this october that's four years from when we first started principal photography but actually during that time and all the edits we went through and then the reshoots and whatever i got to make the movie better do you feel that with the same thing kind of happened with mortal that there was stuff that you could then go ah i've stepped away from it for a little bit i can see it with fresh eyes and then reworked it or were you you didn't have to do that at all. No, I did. I mean, we did mm. do some re-editing to it after we done with after we were done with uh, scary stories. But uh, I'm not sure if it's an advantage or a disadvantage to have that opportunity to go back and 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 look back at it. Okay. My experience is unfortunately that it's a bit of a disadvantage because there is a momentum to the movie that you want to finish. It's you're in one mind, you're in one focused mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, obviously you learn uh, it's, diff it's difficult to say because we learned so much both uh, myself and everybody around me learned so much on scary stories so when you come back to you do see the movie a little bit different and you want to tweak it and that did make it even uh, it, that did make an impact on it it made it better mm -hmm. so maybe it is an advantage but there were some other disadvantages to it to it postponing the finishing of it so and what, were they a, because uh, were they more mindset the fact that you're not in it because you know what it's like when you you've directed shot a movie and now you're in the edit you know everything about the movie you remember any a, a, a two shot that's maybe missing from the drive or whatever and you're like no no there's another shot and like you say two years later you forget that is that what you mean when you say the disadvantage of it no I, yeah i mean it is that but all, yeah you're uh, it's just that you know you've had a momentum uh, on mm. why the movie is is important at this particular time. And that might be a little bit weakened by, or it could be strengthened It's uh, by time passing. Um, it's hard yeah. to know, really. Uh, so 
but anyway, we were we went not as soon as Scary Stories was done. We focused entirely on Mortal and finished it uh, fall of last year. Yep. And uh, and waited for the release date. Uh, yeah. I think it's just a, a really classy fantasy, you know, really interesting movie. I think it's great. I think it shows you as a filmmaker what you can do. I thought the cast were really interesting. I find it fascinating that you shot this before uh, Scary Stories, which yeah, for me is really interesting. I find that really cool. Um, what do you feel now is sort of next for you in terms of do you want to carry on down the fantasy route the sort of horror fantasy route or are you you know hankering to do a, a romantic comedy setting um set in islington <laughs> <laughs> uh no i mean i'm i'm supposed to when this virus hit literally on my way to the u.s to start prep on on a movie called The long walk based on a novel by stephen king but i'm working with the script writers on scary stories Mm -hmm. working on a touch-up on the script for uh, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, working yep. on other things that uh, might become movies in the future. So, mm. so you've used this time well to develop and, yeah. Okay. Yeah, semi-well. Semi I wish I was more effective, but, yeah, it's stuff gets done eventually. Stuff gets done, so eventually. <laughs> well, the long way, how is that? Obviously, the Stephen King must have been really interesting for you to go, oh, I'm directing a Stephen King-written movie. Um, that must be just <laughs> mind-blowing and exciting. And how far away from you were to actually shooting this? I mean, now, I don't know. Now it's up to virus and Trump, I guess, when we get back to okay. shooting. But yeah. eventually, it's, uh, no, it's an amazing script uh, written by uh, Jamie Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac, mm. among other things. Yes, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's a stunning interpretation of, of the book. Um, and uh, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just super excited to get back to it whenever we can. But right now, it's not really possible. Okay. What about shooting mm -hmm. in Norway at the moment? Are things locked down or is there a possibility you could go, you potentially shoot something there you, where you are? Or is it, I mean, I know how it works in Norway and Sweden as well, is that you kind of on the conveyor belt of if Norsk film, if I pronounce that right, do come on board, it, it's kind of done in sections. Okay, well, you get a bit of money and now you're shooting next year. So it's not possible for you to go just generally just go out and shoot something uh, as simple as that right am i correct yeah i mean it's uh i mean you need i mean shoot something as in any movie uh you can't yeah i mean i think there i heard somebody say that there are 19 productions starting up now in the fall uh, like right now that the vacation is over mm -hmm. uh so it's a huge the, the production is really gearing back up but then again i was just reading this week that a virus infection had hit a production and it stopped what a shame. I mean, it is, it's kind of putting a damper on, a, on this whole sort of world for us at the moment. And it is a shame. Yeah. It's a huge shame. But um, Andre, this is honestly, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Um, do you have any advice for filmmakers? I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but for filmmakers out there, you know, your journey is an incredible journey. And any advice that you learned along the way that you wish you'd done differently or just any for filmmakers now starting out or second or third films? I mean, second or third films. I mean, uh, that. I mean, that. That's a path I can't really, because that's already a path in a way. Mm -hmm. You already started a path, so that path is you have to, in a way, I, I believe, control yourself to a degree. Um, I don't know. I think very fresh filmmakers who are just starting out, it's easier to advise. I feel like 
wear with shorts and stuff. I mean, I would have focused on uh, if I wasn't able to get into the commercials industry, which is tough. I was lucky to get in. Um, but if you're able to, obviously, fo- it's that's a full time thing. You can't do commercials as a hobby. That's a huge endeavor, mm-hmm. and the agencies and the clients they really expect you to do to be a master of the craft and not a hobbyist when it comes to you can't be a short film director and kind of do commercials on the side to make money. You need sure. to make it up, you know, your life. Got you. Yeah. Um, and um, but short films is kind of what I would. I don't know. Being a genre director, I would advise to make genre short films under 10 minutes, not longer than 10 minutes, mm-hmm. because if it's below 10 minutes, you can get in, you can slot it into, or the festivals can slot it in easier in their festival program. And if it's a genre film, like a horror short or something or sci-fi, but horror is cheaper, um, you, there are so many wonderful festivals out there that are welcoming you into their fold in a way the community horror community is a very warm inviting open community mm-hmm. and i think that you have a bigger shot doing that as a young starting filmmaker than going for the artistically heightened can worthy short that is such a tough narrow unbelievably uh, hard target um, because it base you, you you have to be among the best in the world to to get in there. I mean, it's all the luckiest or whatever. But with horror, there is a there is a want for your movie, I think, or for your short. Mm-hmm. They're looking for creativity. They're looking for fun. They're looking for obviously deep, profound storytelling. Absolutely, it's nothing less than that. But it's a it's a warmer uh, receptive uh, reception, I think. Yeah, that's great advice. And I totally agree. I think people get bogged down with making these award winning shorts that have to go over and have to win this and do that. No, make a genre version. Mm. And that, like you say, the horror crowd are amazing. You know, the fact that they've accepted me with the dare and just, that's just a delight. So, and they are great. And once you've got them on side in any way, they'll keep championing you. Whereas if you've won something yeah. at, you know, uh, somewhere else that isn't a genre then yeah well now you need to find your own path and it's a different path but that's great advice yeah. thank you andre overdale uh, thank you so much uh, mortal is out now in the uk do you know when it's released in the us is it uh, out around now do you know no, if I you've think got it's that coming in later in the fall i believe Okay, let me fall. Fine. But it is out in the UK. Uh, do go see it. It's brilliant. Um, if you like Chronicle, if you like the sci fi Guillermo del Toro style, if you like Andre style, Troll Hunter, or Jane Doe, you're going to love this movie. Honestly, it's so cool. So well done and congratulations on your career. It's brilliant. Thank you for joining us. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Great Absolute fun. pleasure. Yeah. Um, is there anywhere people can find you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on the socials? At yeah, all? I have uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Uh, yeah, I'm around. Yeah. Yeah. So is it just your name, yeah. Andre Overdale? Yeah, I guess I have. I think my <laughs> Twitter name is Film Troll or something. Yeah. Film Troll. I'm not Great. that very active 
I'm not Guillermo del Toro there. That's for sure. Right, okay, <laughs> fine. I'll put a link to the show notes anyway and people will be able yeah. to find it there. Amazing. <laughs> uh, you can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow the Filmmakers Podcast at Filmmakers Pod. If you've got a film or you've got friends who've got a film and want to be on the podcast, uh, contact us at thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com or if you've got anything you want shouting out, whether it's a crowdfunder or whatever, let us know. Andrew, where can people follow you? Uh, if you go to Charles Alderson's Twitter page, <laughs> then you, then usually I'll tag him in something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at 35mm DOP on Instagram and everywhere everywhere and twitter as well and he's got yeah. a brilliant website 35mm dop.com where you can see his amazing work and luckily i've been lucky enough to direct some of that work there's but a couple bits in there there's a couple of bits i have yeah. i have made for him and he's made for <laughs> me more importantly so thank you so much for listening remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen know who your audience is and do it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next tuesday as always andre you are a star thank Thank you very much. My pleasure. Andrew, you are a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. I'm Perfect. leaving that. Andre, thank you, buddy. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, Bye, guys. Take care. Bye.